Oh, Lord, we pray that you would manifest yourself in the preaching of your word, that this day we might see the good shepherd, Jesus himself, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. The prophet Micah is prophesying at a very difficult time or about to be a very difficult time in the life of the people of Israel. The Assyrians would come down in such force in the northern part of the kingdom that 10 tribes from the nation of Israel would be wiped from the pages of history, never to be heard from again. But not just that, wondering where in the midst of all of this uh, is God? Because according to Micah, it seems that the people of Israel are wondering, where is God in the midst of great difficulty? Where is God uh, now? Has he abandoned us? And Micah sets forward the way back to God, or more rightfully, God's way to us. He calls on Micah to stand up and deliver his case, his indictment against the people of Israel. There's legal language used here in Micah chapter 6. And he says, look, I want you to represent me, Micah, and I want you to plead. I want you to tell the mountains and the hills of the indictment that I have against the people of Israel, for I will contend with them. But this seems like a silly action to to plead your case before hills and mountains. But Micah tells us it's because they are the enduring foundations of the earth. God made them in the very beginning. They can testify to the great work that God has done. His loving purposes from the beginning to the very end of God pursuing his people and bringing about rescue, bringing about hope where there seemed to be no way God makes a way. And the very earth is a witness to that truth. And if that's not enough, he begins a litany of ways in which, remember when I showed up in in the land of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery, and I sent you wonderful and faithful leaders like Moses and Aaron and Miriam, and when I had you cross the River Jordan and camp at Gilgal, or when I actually went so far as to cause Balaam's donkey to preach. Those are the great links that I have gone to to rescue you and save you. Well, what is our response to that? Micah says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? In light of that, how do I approach God's throne? How do I enter into relationship with him? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the very sin of my soul? On the one hand, this desire to want to present sacrifice to God is not a bad thing. That means that you understand your sin and that a sacrifice is necessary in order for you to have a relationship with God. And here, Micah moves from pretty significant things to really significant things. Calves a year old? Okay, what about thousands of rams? What about rivers, ten thousands of rivers of oil? Not enough? How about my firstborn son? 
my firstborn daughter. Now, we may not be bringing rivers of oil to the Lord, and certainly uh, most of us, I would hope, would not uh, present our child, uh, depending on what your child is like, uh, but you wouldn't do that. And yet, there are other ways in which we think there are things that we can do to come to God. God, I'm going to give you this so that you will bless me. Or God, I want your favor toward me, and so I'm going to do all of these things that often we bring our own religiosity or or right living to the table to, to try to approach God in a sense that God owes us. And yet there's nothing that we can bring to the table. There's nothing that we can do on our end to reconcile ourselves to God. In fact, if we bring anything, it's sin. And then Micah says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Quite frankly, that drives me to despair. Because those things that he mentions before, the the calves, the rams, the rivers of oil, even the firstborn, those are things that actually are not that hard to do to an extent. They're tangible. Just tell me what I can do to get to God. Outwardly, this was the, the nature of the Pharisees. Outwardly, they conformed to the law of God. They made a point of it. And yet, Jesus himself said, outwardly, You are like whitewashed sepulchers, but like them, inside of you is rot and bone. And yet, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God, that's not an outward conformity. That's not a physical sacrifice. That's something that comes from inside. That's something that we can't fake. And so has Micah just led us to a place of despair? Has he led us all the way to giving up a firstborn and then said, actually, it's much harder than that. Good luck. Well, Micah himself actually answers that question. Chapter 5 of the book of Micah, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. Who is Micah talking about but the Lord Jesus Christ himself? That God, even at the point of despair, we find that his office is at the end of our ropes. That he doesn't leave us when we wonder what could we possibly bring empty-handed but to his cross 
we cling. Baptism is a beautiful illustration of this very principle where we baptize those who come forward as an image they represent to us how we enter into a relationship with the living God because Mike is using very personal language here. He's talking about matters of the heart and he's talking about peace with God. He's talking about walking with God. He's talking about a personal relationship. And yet, if God were to wait around for us to come on our own initiative, we would never come. I have yet to see any infant toddle on up excitedly to the font. They either come defiantly or like a lamb to the slaughter, just totally oblivious to what's about to happen. This point was illustrated to me uh, about our own human nature and God's pursual of us when uh, a friend of mine who's a youth minister was having his daughter baptized and uh, my friend uh, played uh, professional rugby in South Africa and his child, for better or worse, inherited his genes. And uh, for some reason, they waited to baptize the child uh, when they were two and a half, three years old, which is problematic because they're not tall enough to lean over the font and they're almost too big, especially this one, uh, to actually hold. So I said, Craig, here's what we're going to do. Not, not you, Craig, of course, uh, but Craig, here's what we're going to do. I want you to hold the child and I'll baptize them. And as he was holding his child and I asked them that question, do you reject Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? This child reached up and grabbed his neck and squeezed to the point of blood trickling down his throat and he said, I renounce them! <laughs> well, isn't that the truth? Nobody comes willingly to the font as an infant, but God actually pursues them. But funny enough, we say in our service, the prayer book has said it for a very long time, we baptize them and welcome into the fellowship those who come to him in faith. What faith can a baby have? Well, we baptize them not because the water actually does any washing away, literally, but the symbolic act of washing the child and, and the sins going away, but to represent God's pursual and great love for us. It is symbolic of the washing with the blood of Jesus. As water cleanses our body, so his blood cleanses our hearts. It is the New Testament idea of what circumcision was in the Old Testament for the people of Israel. You are made part of the covenant community of God, an inheritor of the promises of God in Jesus Christ. And yet, like in the Old Testament, there were those who were circumcised of the flesh, but not circumcised of the heart. Which is why faith is so important. Faith is what makes the baptism efficacious. And rarely, if ever, is it at the moment of baptism. If you're baptized as an infant, it almost nearly always after you've been baptized. And if you were baptized as an adult, it's almost always nearly before you were baptized. And yet this is your public proclamation of faith. And these children who were baptized, they had sureties, moms and dads and godparents who made promises on their behalf that one day Emily and Robert will stand before the body of Christ 
and declare their faith in him. They will confirm what was promised on their behalf at baptism, which is why there is no more important thing that we do than to preach the gospel and open the very word of God to the little ones. For such belongs the kingdom of God. So baptism and Micah remind us of this need for regeneration in the new birth to be born again. Paul writes to us in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. I often think Paul had children. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It is that faith, the gift that God gives us, God's Holy Spirit working in our hearts that opens our eyes to who he is and we can turn now that we have a new heart toward him. And our hearts actually begin to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. And so when we hear this great summation of the law in Micah 6.8, it reminds us of the need for Jesus. What the law requires, the gospel gives. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. In him, we meet the requirements of the law by what he has done for us by his death and resurrection and what he works in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's what causes you to walk humbly with God. Anyone I have ever met who thought that they could stand before God in their own strength are those whose lives provided the weakest cases. The one who thinks he is perfect is most demonstrably imperfect. I've come to find that the more grace a person has, the more they feel their deficiency of grace. Humility is a sign of progress, the Spirit's work within us. If you know you are unworthy to even gather up the crumbs under his table, then that is a sign of God's work within you. And so you realize you come to the Lord Jesus empty-handed, simply pleading his merits and mercy that God himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has gotten a hold of you and drawn you into a relationship with him, and you can never be plucked from his hand. You, by faith, are indeed Christ's own forever. When I was a little boy, we would visit my grandparents all the time, and my grandfather would take us on walks along horse trails. And there were roots and rocks and things like that. And if you're three or four years old, that could prove problematic. And so my grandfather used to always stick out two fingers. And so we would grab hold of his two fingers. And if we would stumble and fall, more often than not, he could probably keep us up. But inevitably, when we were kids, we would fall flat on our faces over the roots and the rocks. And I remember it very vividly. After several falls, my grandfather finally looked down at me and he said, you know what, this would work a lot better if I held on to you. And that is exactly what God does for us. 
It's not a matter of us holding on to him as tight as we can, although when we have a regenerate heart, that's what we long to do. But there are times when our grip, our grip is weak, where it's faltering, and you might even try to let go. And yet God never lets go of you. He continues to walk with you and to carry you because he, of all that he could have chosen, has chosen you and called you into a relationship with him. We bring nothing to the table and we can't even hold on sometimes. And yet God is ever faithful and he provides a way out of little Bethlehem, a little child who has come to save us by his own death and his resurrection. Believe on that, child of God. Amen.